guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. I'd like to give a, a warning at the beginning of this. My wife and I have a wonderful marriage. Um, I mean, it's the only one I've had, so I don't have a lot to compare it to, but uh, it's the best marriage I've ever been to in. And um, from what I can tell, we're doing all right. Um, but even the most healthy, loving relationships have quarrels and disagreements from time to time. And I have a microphone, so I'd like to tell you a story from my perspective about one of those disagreements. Um, don't worry, it's lighthearted. But um, on Sunday, Dave and I had lunch while Sam was at work. And Sam knows where our story's going. Um, my eating schedule impacts Sam's eating schedule, right? That makes sense. We're a married couple. We generally eat together. So um, she was checking in to see if I had eaten or if she should eat, you know, that kind of thing. She asked me if I was going to be hungry when she got home from work. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what? I'm feeling pretty full right now. I'm probably not going to be hungry until much later. So I told her to get something to eat. So about an hour and a half later, it occurs to me, I'm hungry. And um, <laughs> I, had, I had made that assessment poorly. And so I called Sam to see if it was too late. And I said, did you eat yet? Hilarious aside, I said, did you eat yet? And she replied, I'm on my way home. Does that answer your question? And I laughed so much because literally not at all. <laughs> not, literally no. <laughs> I laughed so much. But we got it straightened out. Um, she had stopped at Wendy's already and she was on her way home to eat her nuggets. And um, when she got home, I explained to her that I was hungry and she was not a happy camper about my hunger. And uh, because we were about to meet up with some people and, you know, she could tell that meant food was going to be in the equation. And she was holding a bag of chicken nuggets that she was not going to be able to eat. Though I think she did have a nugget or two. Um, Now, at this point in the story, I have admitted that I've made a mistake, but Sam insisted on holding this over my head just all day. Um, And I submit to you that my only crime was not being able to see the future, which I think is reasonable, a reasonable thing to happen. I made an assessment in the moment. I thought the Taco Bell was going to hold up, and it just, I have the microphone. I'll take it from here. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Consequences were like like $7 max. Everything was fine, though for some reason I had to hear about it all day, okay? Um, Being the one with the microphone really helps me control the narrative here. Now, let me transition. One cool thing about being somebody that follows Jesus, goes to church, and, and believes all that we believe is that we, like, can see the future. Like, we do know not when or how, but we know how the story ends, right? Like, uh, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like or exactly what the book of Revelation is talking about, but we do know the end result of all of this. We know that we get a new heavens and a new earth. We know that at the end, everything is redeemed and put back into the place that God designed it to be in the garden. The complete restoration, the complete redemption of everything is coming. I recently heard a podcast that described us, the church, as time travelers. They talked to us, talk, talked about how we're basically holy time travelers. And um, because like part of living like Jesus, part of following Jesus is living like him. And so we're living like the kingdom of heaven is already here. We're living as if we're in the end of the story. We're time travelers. So when you look at how a Jesus follower lives, like the community of the church and the individual believer, you should see a sneak peek of heaven. You should see, you should have a little taste of the kingdom of God, the redeemed world through our lives following Jesus. Now, we're not going to do it perfectly. But in this series called Rhythms, 
we're talking about prayer, and that might not sound like prayer, but I'll, I'll make it make sense of prayer here in a moment. Um, but the bottom line is that prayer is important. The bottom line for this whole series is that for a Jesus follower, prayer is important, and your rhythms reveal your priorities. Your rhythms reveal your priorities. You show that you've made Jesus a priority in your life by making prayer a regular part of the rhythm of your life. So we, your, your rhythms reveal your priorities. The, the, the fact that you follow Jesus should impact your life. It should change the way you live your life. Last week, we talked about prayer don'ts. And um, hopefully, I hope that eased some of the pressure about prayer for you. That was my hope. Um, and tonight, we're talking about prayer do's. And we're looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Um, and a lot of the Lord's Prayer is about God's kingdom. It's about heaven on earth. Um, to live out the values of, of the kingdom, it like leans into our duty as holy time travelers. Um, we live, that we're a representation of the coming redemption of everything, which I think is very cool for us. Now, the Lord's Prayer is recorded in both Matthew and Luke, both of these guys, two of the four Gospels that recorded the life of Jesus. Matthew and Luke both recorded that Jesus taught a prayer to his disciples. And the Lord's Prayer um, that I'm using is in, ver in Matthew 6, um, because we were in Matthew 6 last week, so it really, really goes nicely, because like, it goes immediately into the Lord's Prayer. So first, Jesus taught his followers that praying is, this is stuff we talked about last week, praying is necessary. Don't stop. Um, don't pray to be seen. This is, this is not about showing off to the people around you. Don't pray to be heard. It's not about sounding good or using the right words to hack prayer or hack God to get him to do whatever you want. And then right after those prayer don'ts, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. He goes from the don'ts to the do's. Now, it's not recorded in Matthew, but we see at the Lord's Prayer in Luke, um, the disciples directly ask Jesus, how do we pray? How does this work? And uh, so you could really call it the disciples' prayer because it's for us, his disciples, his followers. So they had to see him, they had seen him pray. They had heard him teach about prayer, but they're like, Jesus, can you give us a really clear example of what prayer should sound like? And Jesus gave that to them. He was the perfect example of a life committed to God, so he gave them a perfect example of prayer. And it's a prayer a lot of people have memorized. A lot of people know the Lord's Prayer. Maybe not in this room. I, I would assume several people do. I would suggest, although we are not of a tradition that says the Lord's Prayer in every service, I would suggest that we all learn it. Um, because Jesus said pray like this. <laughs> so it's a good thing for us to know. Um, I don't think our prayer lives should be limited to the Lord's Prayer, but if Jesus taught this is how we should pray, I want to pray like that. So before we go, we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer line by line. But before we do that, I would like us to pray the Lord's Prayer together all at once. We're all going to say it together. Uh, and when we look at it later, when we study it, we're going to use the New Living Translation. Um, for, for saying it, I wanted to use, honestly, I wanted to use the version I had memorized, and I assume it's the version lots of people have memorized. Um, so here it is. I hope, yeah, there it is. So that is the one that I have memorized. Um, I would suggest you memorize it in whatever makes the most sense to you. Um, some of these words aren't going to mean anything to you, and the New Living Translation might make more sense. So maybe that's the one that you spend more time on. But I'd wager most people that have it memorized have it memorized like this. So would you pray this with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Amen. Beautiful. Memorizing scripture is good. It's a good thing for us to do. Um, I find that the more time I spend studying the Bible, the more of his word I hide in my heart. The more of his word I just internalize. Um, sometimes I just it, I bring it up as a joke. You know, I reference a verse because it's a, applicable to the situation in a jokey way. Sometimes it's a principle that helps me explain something. Um, but a lot of times it's, it reminds me of who God is. It, and it speaks to me. It's hidden in my heart. And my heart reminds me who God is, what the church is supposed to do in trying situations, that kind of stuff. I'd encourage you to figure out a way to make scripture memorization um, a part of your rhythm. And, and this doesn't mean you have to join, join like a Bible quiz team and memorize all of Matthew tomorrow. But like the more time you spend in the word, the more time you're going to spend internalizing it. It's going to get in there the more time you spend with it. You don't even have to be like trying to memorize a lot of it to, to get a lot of it in there. Though I think trying to memorize it's also very, very good. Tonight, we're going to look at um, the Lord's Prayer line by line. One thing, one potential danger with memorizing scripture is that it can begin to be just the words. I think this is a, an accusation that a lot of people that where they don't, you know, have the Lord's Prayer memorized, they would say, well, I, it's, it's not about just those special words. Or if you have it memorized, you don't mean it. You're just like saying it because you have it memorized. And that is a danger um, that we would, you know, it reminds me what we talked about last week, that we would our heart would be empty. The heart behind the words is empty, uh, and we're just praying to be heard, right? But as we learn scripture, we want to be intentional to keep the heart behind the meaning of the words. And that's really what we're talking about tonight, the meaning of the Lord's Prayer, line by line. And um, we're going to talk about how Jesus taught us to pray. And I want you to get the weight of that, that Jesus, the perfect prayer, because he's God in human form, um, I think he included each line on purpose. I think each thought was meant to teach us something. Um, I think we're going to try and learn something, all right? So let's start the very beginning of Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Did you know I was going to start with one word at a time? <laughs> Our. That's right. One word. And I do think Jesus is trying to teach us something through this one word, um, because it's actually a word that's repeated throughout the whole Lord's Prayer. It's a plural pronoun. That's what I want you to know. It's not my father. It's our father. Because faith is meant for community. Our walk with Jesus is meant to be a walk together. Independence is a big value in our country and time. Independence is important to the people, that, to our culture. Um, and there is definitely benefits to leaning independence at times. But mostly, faith is communal. It's meant to be an experience for a group. That's why we have church. If you are um, following Jesus by yourself, you're missing a huge piece of following Jesus. It's meant to happen in a group. The church is about a community of faith. Our Father. Jesus used the word Abba here. You may have heard Abba, Father, that phrase. Um, and it's, it's a really familiar word. It's a word that like Jewish children would call their dad. They would call him Abba. Um, so it's like, it's a term of intimacy and closeness. It's familiar and approachable. Uh, it's really close and, and known. And then it's followed by a stark contrast. And I want you to hear that. Our Father in heaven so like my father really, really close, but also far away. And heaven is a reminder um, of his transcendence and his sovereignty. Uh, I like the word sovereignty. I use it for God a lot. But it, so if you don't know what it means, it just means he's all powerful, all knowing. He has all the authority. He's in charge. He's sovereign. And in this prayer, we have a reminder of how holy, set apart 
he is. Speaking of which, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. This is that hallowed, hallowed be thy name, if you know the memorized, the version that I have memorized. Um, And we've talked in here about what the word holy means, but we talk about it a lot, so I'm going to remind you. It means something that's set apart. The word holy means set apart. Uh, Another level of special. Um, We are holy in God's eyes as his people set apart for for his purposes. And God is holy in our eyes as someone on a totally different level. He's bigger and more powerful and just fundamentally, categorically different than you and I. That's why we worship him. He is holy. And what this line is about, may your name be kept holy, it's a, it's a line where we pause to worship. Your name is holy, and let's keep it that way. It's a line where we remember to keep his name holy, keep his name where it belongs, set apart bigger than you and me. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Now, to talk about this, we need to talk about what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is. Now, those are usually interchangeable. Um, And I've heard it described like this. The kingdom of God is coming and has come. You can see that that might be confusing. The kingdom of God is coming and has come. It's both here and on its way. So when Jesus came, he began ushering in the kingdom of God. That's part of what he came to do, to, to, to increase the kingdom of God, to bring it here. It's a new value system. It's a new relationship with God. It's a new way to relate to God. All the stuff we talk about that comes with following Jesus. This is the beginning of the kingdom of God. But, again, we know the end of the story, and Jesus is returning, and when he comes back, um, he's going to redeem everything, restore everything, and that is the cultivate, culti- culmination Forgive me, that's an important letter. A culmination of the kingdom of God. It is both here and on its way. So as we pray for his kingdom to come soon, we are both praying that it continues to spread here and now. And we pray that he comes back soon to bring his kingdom in its final form with the restoration of everything. May your kingdom come soon. And may your will be done. What's God's will? It's another important question we should ask. God's will is something we talk about in church a lot, but I don't want to assume you know what it means. So um, God's will is his plan, his purpose, his, the way things are going to go, God's will for us, for, the, for this. Um, I believe God's will fundamentally is to be reunited with people, to bring people to himself. So God's will is centered around people finding him. You might ask why I believe that. Let's talk about it. When I have questions about a term in the Bible, I look for it in other places. So may your will be done. Well, what does God's will mean? So I'm going to look at it. I'm just going to use two references to show you what I mean. Romans 12 um, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing, and perfect. So we know God's will is good, pleasing. It's perfect. He's got a perfect will. It's good. Someone once told me that God's will is what is exactly what you would want if you knew all the facts. So we remember that God is outside of time and space, and he can see the whole thing. God's will is exactly what you would want if you had all the facts. That helps me trust him. Just a reminder that he's sovereign. He's got the whole world in his hands, and uh, we can trust him. He'll be good to us, even when we don't understand it, because he knows things that we don't. God's will is perfect. God's will, uh, also in 1 Timothy 2, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, 
who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. That word for want is the same word in the last verse for, for will, God's will. It's God's will that we would be saved, that people will be saved and understand the truth. He wants people to be reunited with him. He wants people to be close to him. That's how we know what God's will is. He wants us to be with him. As for praying, thy will be done, um, that's us praying that people would continue to find him. People continue to join his kingdom. And again, we're praying for his second coming, also part of his will. Uh, the redemption of everything is around the corner, and we continue to ask that he would bring that. Bring it gradually and bring it in its final form as well. What's also important to keep in mind here is that um, part of us being reunited with God is Jesus on the cross. We have access to God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We'll talk about more, that more in a minute. But it it can be hard to reckon with uh, a loving God willing that kind of suffering, but it led people closer to him. It, it, it helped us. It mended the relationship between God and man. And I want you to keep in mind that as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray with this prayer, he's praying, thy will be done. And he knows that God's will is the cross. He, he, the cross is in his mind at this point. So keep that in mind. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, grammatically, I don't speak Greek, but I study people that do. And uh, grammatically, this would be a, um, this would be, it would show you that it applies to the last three statements. So, so you could read it. May your name be kept holy on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come soon on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is another way to say the kingdom is continuing to expand. The kingdom of God is heaven on earth. It's a glimpse of heaven on earth. This phrase is asking for heaven to meet earth like a sloppy wet kiss. Okay. So we're halfway through, <laughs> we're halfway through the prayer and, and there's a shift in the prayer here because these first three petitions are God please. Um, may your name be kept holy. God, we want your kingdom to come and your will be, to be done. There's a shift here. Um, the second three phrases are petitions for us. That God would provide needs and help us to do stuff. So let's look at those. God, give us today the food we need. This is give us this day our daily bread. Um, and this is a prayer for provision. We are asking God for the ability to work and for the fruit of our labor of our work as well. And forgive us our sins. Interestingly, the Greek word that we usually translate to sin, does anybody know what it is? Uh, in Hebrew, it's hata. In Greek, it is, anybody? Hamartia. Somebody got it, yeah? Hamartia. Um, we usually translate hamartia to sin. This is not hamartia. Um, and in, uh, the, the memorized version that I have is trespasses. In other versions, you'll, say, you'll see debts. Forgive us our debts. So this, we should keep this in mind, that this is a picture when we pray about our sins here, we should be thinking about them as debts to God, as debts between us and him. Because every sin separates us from him, right? Every sin, the wages of sin is death, right? There's always this like financial language around sin. Every sin is a separation. It's a bill between us and him, a bill that we chose, not him. And that debt has to be paid for us to be reunited with God. And Jesus' death on the cross paid that debt for us. And all we have to do is believe in our heart that he is, he is Lord and declare it with our mouth. And we have access to his sacrifice paid in full. He pays the debt. 
as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And this is a common theme in scripture where it talks about being forgiven by God. It often, there's several verses where then like if we don't forgive people, God doesn't forgive us, which is huge and scary. And and as much trouble as I have forgiving people, that is concerning to me. Um, one of them is actually like the next verse, the verse right after the Lord's Prayer. I'll show you to you in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is concerning. It's hard to put it plainer than that. Um, and, and you shouldn't see this as earning forgiveness from God um, because that's not what it is, but it's about positioning our heart in such a way. He's saying that we are we cannot accept forgiveness until we give forgiveness. We cannot receive God's forgiveness until we have forgiven the people around us that trespass against us. So we ask God to forgive us as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't lead us, don't let us yield to temptation. Lead us not into temptation is the words that I have memorized. God will allow us and sometimes lead us even into situations where we are tested. And scripture makes it clear that God does not tempt us, but he will allow us. And that when I read Matthew 4, him leading Jesus into the desert to be tempted, he will even lead us into situations where we're going to be tempted. Adam and Eve, there was a, there was a test in the garden, in the tree. So God does not tempt us, but he will allow us to be tested. And this part of the prayer is asking that God would do two things. Spare us from testing first. Now, he, he promised tests, but it also makes sense for us to get, ask God to limit those. <laughs> Please limit the tests because I can, I can do all right sometimes, but like the less the better. Help me out here. And secondly, um, that when those tests inevitably do come, that he would help us pass that he would help us succeed and, and overcome, like fight the urge to sin and stand up to temptation. Give us strength in those moments. Help us through the tests. Spare us from tests and help us when they come. And finally, but rescue us from the evil one. Some translations um, think it means evil, not the evil one, but evil in general, rather than like Satan specifically. It seems more likely, considering the way that Matthew writes, that he's specifically talking about Satan when he says the evil one here. Either way, it doesn't matter. It means the same thing. Um, It's about asking God to help us resist, rescue us from the evil one, the schemes, the accusations, and the deceits of Satan. God, help us to stay out of trouble, simply put. When you put this whole thing together, you have what the Son of God instructed us to pray to God. And again, I would ask that we would take that seriously. Um, and I, I would challenge you to memorize it. Whatever translation makes sense to you, memorize this. And, and, and when you don't know what to pray, you can pray this. Let's pray it often. Maybe let's pray it daily. Let it shape how we pray all the time. And again, the real point of this series, again, is to show you not only is prayer good, but it is necessary. Prayerlessness is sinfulness. Prayerlessness is sinfulness. But that's obvious when you think about prayer and you think about what sin is. Obviously, neglecting to talk to God and listen to God is going to create separation between you. That's natural. That makes sense. Those are predictable consequences. When we choose to follow Jesus, 
We choose to give him lordship over our whole lives, over our schedules and everything. That means regular time in prayer. Uh, Lastly, we talked about 10 and 10. 10 minutes every day in scripture, 10 minutes every day in prayer. It's a great place to start. The Lord's Prayer is a great place to start. Gratitude, which we mentioned last week, is a great place to start. But no matter how you choose to start, figure it out. Start, pray. Make that a priority for yourself because making Jesus a priority in your life is worth it. It, re- it just is. Letting him impact your schedule, your rhythm is worth it. And if you've really given your life to him, it will show in your rhythms because your rhythms reveal your priorities. I will continue my commitment to short prayers and simple words. God, we thank you. I ask that you would remind us how to pray. You would help us to hide this prayer in our heart and remind us when we don't know what to pray that you have taught us and help us to make prayer a regular rhythm in our lives. We love you. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.